recognize that uh, this is a strange place for me to stand. I'd really rather not be way up here. I like being down with all of you, but I think there's just a little more room. So I'll probably be standing here a lot, okay? There's something about the way I'm wired. I like to be in, in your context, so... Easter morning, we've heard the story, we've sung some songs about that great and wondrous morning that has incredible implications on our life. What I'd like to do this morning is, is begin by starting at the very end of that passage we read, and can I say something to the little ones in our room? If you're five and under... Pank saying he's not. But if you are, or even 10 and under, I encourage you to listen up because these words are, are incredibly important and um, you can understand what God is saying just as well as anyone else in the room, okay? But at the end of John 20, our author simply says Jesus did a whole bunch of other signs in the presence of disciples which aren't written, that we don't know about. But he said these ones were written, the reason we have this recorded, the reason that this is here, is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. And so what we just read, and, and the rest of the book, is really important, in other words. If we want life, we need to heed what we've heard. Let's begin with the setting now. In light of that, let's think back to the beginning of what we read. And, and we have this story about Mary Magdalene on the first day of the week. It's interesting, the first day of the week being the Sunday. The Sabbath, this last day of the week, was the, the Jewish special day. But the first day of the week, uh, the day that Jesus rose, a new beginning... It was on that day that Mary came to the tomb early and we're told it was still dark. Throughout the book of John, darkness and the difference between the light and, the, and, and, and dark is, is, is shown over and over and over again. And so when I think that the author is mentioning that it's still dark, he's telling us what it was, but he's also wanting us to see that things were not so good. part of Community Grace, you know that last week we looked at chapter 19. Chapter 19 ends basically with this idea that where Jesus cries out, I'm thirsty. And then he cries out, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit till he dies. The sword is thrust through his side and the reality is Jesus is now dead. Mary Magdalene, who was she? We're told in the Gospel of Luke that Mary Magdalene was one who had seven spirits in her and Jesus cast those seven spirits out of her. We're also told that Mary Magdalene was a, a group of other ladies that actually wandered with Jesus and supported his ministry. Which back in those days would have been quite uh, unique, to say the least. 
Mary Magdalene was one who had gained life because of Jesus. And now he was dead. You see, the disciples and, and, and most of the people who, who were following Christ believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one the Jews were waiting for, but they were looking for a king, a king that would get rid of the Romans. And now those same Romans and the Jewish leaders had put this Jesus to death. And so not only was it dark, but if you understand, it was dark. These were troubled times for Mary Magdalene and the disciples. But if you remember, some of you reading Luke chapter 19, I mean John chapter 19, at the end of John 19, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. What does he do? Do you, anyone remember? What's that? Exactly. He offered his tomb. He takes a body. And in, in the Gospel of John, it tells us that somebody helped him. And his name was Nicodemus. We meet Nicodemus at the beginning of the book in John chapter 3. Again, at night, because Nicodemus, a Jewish leader, is scared that, that others might see that he's actually meeting with Jesus. And he asked Jesus a bunch of questions. And, and, and Jesus says you must be born again to him. But in that context, we have that beautiful passage, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus would have heard those words from Jesus. But it looks like Nicodemus walked away not understanding but there's something going on at the end of chapter 19 that Nicodemus is like, he's helping bury the body. And I think there's, there's a hint. There's hope. There's hope. Now in those first few verses of chapter 20, we have Mary Magdalene. She's at the tomb. It sounds like she's alone. She gets there. She realizes the stone is gone. And back in those days, there was grave robbers and they would steal bodies. This was a... This was an ongoing problem. Uh, they would steal everything because the, the linen that was wrapped around them and the spices that were on the body were of value. And so Mary, seeing the stone rolled away, just immediately thought the body was stolen and she, we're told, runs to the disciples. Peter and John, John being the, the writer of the book and the one that Jesus loved, not that Jesus didn't love the others, but I think John doesn't like to mention his name. And so he simply says over and over and over again, the beloved disciple, the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. John comes. Peter comes. We're told John's younger. John was probably a teenager at the time. Simon goes ahead. John outruns him. John looks into the tomb first. And we're told he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. This is significant because in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And when he says, Lazarus, come out, in John 11:44, we read these words, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
So when Lazarus comes out of the grave, he comes out, but he's, he's wrapped in these linen cloths, including his head. And he needs outside help to get these things off so he's free, not only alive, but free. Jesus, on the other hand, when he rises from the dead, he passes through the linen cloths. And John sees that they're laying there and we're told he saw and at that point he believed. Because what he saw astounded him. And he didn't yet understand what the Scriptures were saying in places like Psalm 16 and Isaiah 53. Now Peter being Peter and John being John, John just kind of took a look inside and Peter runs inside. And then we're told they go home in verse 10. But what does Mary do in verse 11? What I want us to see this morning is three different encounters with Jesus, the risen Jesus. Mary stayed by the tomb, and we're told she's weeping. There's incredible grief going on. Incredible sorrow. She doesn't, it seems that she still thinks the body has been stolen. This is, this is the one who, who freed her from seven spirits and, and, and had given her life, and, and now her Savior, her Jesus, is, is dead. And all seems to be lost, and she's weeping. Then we're told she stooped to look into the tomb and she sees two angels and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she tells them, You've taken, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And then she turns around and she sees Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. It, it seems to be a common occurrence in the risen Jesus that, that there's something similar about Jesus where he still has the nail prints and the spear wound and yet people don't recognize him. And there's something different about his body. We, we're not told what, but Mary doesn't recognize him. And Jesus speaks to her, and he still doesn't. She still doesn't recognize him. Jesus goes, simply says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks he's the gardener. Verse 15. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then in verse 16, I think it's got one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture, when Jesus simply said to her, Mary. And it's at that point that Mary recognizes Jesus. She cries out, teacher, teacher. We're told she clings to him. When I read those words, I can't help but think of John chapter 10. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10 to his disciples in verse 3 and 4. It says, To him whom the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Then in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And when Jesus says to her, Mary, Mary, being a, one of his sheep, recognizes his voice. But in that moment, Jesus is not only simply saying, Mary, but Jesus is saying, I am the great shepherd that has laid down my life for you, Mary. And he does that simply by saying, Mary. Nothing's changed. Those whom he predestined, Paul tells us, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Our Savior knows our name, and if we are His, we will hear His voice. Now, what I want you to notice in, in each of these encounters with Jesus, that their mood changes. Mary, we're told, is weeping, there's grief, there's sorrow. And when Jesus says, Mary, things change. She's clinging to him, and, and, and a lot of scholars are arguing and debating what, what's going on in verse 17. One writer simply says, what he thinks he's doing is, Mary, stop clinging to me. I haven't gone to the Father. I'm not going anywhere yet. Go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. And this grief-struck lady is now the spokesperson for Jesus. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples in verse 18, I have seen the Lord, and, and, and that he had said these things to her. Her, her. her sorrow was now filled with joy. She had encountered Christ, the risen Christ. But then in verse 19, we have a second encounter. Jesus appears to the ten disciples. And, and notice their situation. They're locked inside a room, and they were there because of fear of the Jews. Why were they afraid of the Jews? Well, the Jews, along with the Romans, had just simply put their leader to death. And so they had a reason to be afraid. They're locked in this room, filled with fear, the text says. And then Jesus shows up. Verse 19 just simply says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them. I love the simplicity of Scripture. We're told the door's locked, and how did Jesus get in? Kind of the same way he came out of those grave clothes. He just passed through. He's there. He shows up. And then he begins to speak. And the first thing he says to his disciples is, peace be with you. Now when we think of peace, we think of the absence of war, the absence of conflict, which is true. But what is Jesus saying here? Peace be with you. Jesus earlier in the Gospel of John promised them peace. To the Jew, peace meant a wholeness, a completeness, that all of life was right. Jesus wasn't saying to them that there would be no more war because he said there would be, as we increasing, 
wars and rumors of war. He didn't say our life would be without pain and turmoil. He says because there would be persecution in the, in, in the lives of those who follow him. So what does he mean by peace? What does he mean by peace? Not only a wholeness of life, but, but he's talking about a peace that there, there, there now is a, can be a, a relationship with God. Last week in chapter 19, we were talking about Jesus on the cross. And, and when he cries out, I am thirsty, we're, we're told that they stuck a sponge on a hyssop branch and they, and they, and they stuck, plunged the, the, the sponge into some vinegar and they lifted it up to Jesus. Well, we, we read about the hyssop plant back in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, they took the hyssop and they dipped, they dipped the, the hyssop plant into the blood of the lamb that they had slain and they sprinkled the blood on the doorposts. And any Jew that was hidden and kept, was hiding in the house, the angel of death would pass by. And they would be spared of death and they'd be given life. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the same Jesus that John says, John the Baptist cried out and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus and his work on the cross has now made it possible that the people of God could, could now be in a relationship with God. Not because of their good works, not because of their good deeds, not because they go to church every Sunday, but, 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 but because of what Jesus had done. He paid the price. And when Jesus looks at them not once, but twice to his disciples and says, peace be with you, he wants them to understand that they now can have peace with God that they couldn't before. I once had... Um, an older gentleman, he was uh, from Quebec. I was pastoring in another context, and he had grown up in a very rough family. He was uh, about 70 now. He had an incredibly difficult life. His whole family was in turmoil. And a long, long course of events, he came to know Jesus. And I remember sitting down with him. I said, okay, well, the next step is you, you need to be baptized. That's, that's a step of obedience. It's something he had never done. And so I, I wanted to know what was going on in his life. And, and, and here was a man that, that um, was wise in so many different ways. This is how he described it. He says, he says, I've got peace right here. He says, not, not peace out there. And, and he was talking about there's stuff out there that's just not right, but I've got peace right here. He had a peace with God because of what Christ had done. When Jesus took, looks at his disciples and says to them two times, peace be with you, he's talking about that peace. What does the text say? Verse 20. Then the disciples were glad. Before they were filled with fear, they encountered the risen Lord. The risen Lord speaks to them, and now the risen Lord just just his presence and his words, what happens? Their fear turns into gladness. They have life. Life. 
There's a transformation. And then there's the final encounter. Probably most of us in this room could probably relate to Thomas. I think he's been unfairly called Doubting Thomas. I think you could say Doubting Elroy or Doubting put your own name in there. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, verse 24, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And he says, unless I can stick my hands in the mark of the nails and put my fingers in the mark of the nails and place my hand into a side where the spear went, I'm not going to believe you guys. Well, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And, and even though the doors were locked, I don't know why the doors were still locked, but they were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And for the third time, Jesus says, and, and when you see repetition in the Scriptures, highlight it, underline it, because our author, the Holy Spirit, wants us to recognize that this is important. For the third time, Jesus says, peace be with you. Then he looks at Thomas and simply says, Thomas, come over here. Put your finger here. See my hands? Put your finger here. Thomas, come over here. You see my side? I want you to put your hand right in my side. And doubting Thomas, what happens to him? transformation he sees the risen lord he hears the risen lord just like mary just like his other disciples and there's a change that takes place and he falls flat on his face i believe and he cries out my lord my master the god of the universe my lord and my god that's what he says a jew calling a person a human standing in front of him calls him the god who created the heavens and the universe. Thomas sees Jesus and what happens? He's filled with love, adoration, awe. He worships Him. And then, we're simply told in verse 30 and 31, Actually, Jesus did a bunch of other signs in the presence of his disciples. These ones have been recorded so that you and I might believe in him and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was promised in the Old Testament, the Son of God, God himself, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. We too hear the words of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, that calls our name. We too hear the voice of Jesus that says, peace be with you. Peace not because of something you've done or I have done, but because of what he's done. Good Friday. And that same risen Lord speaks to us this morning. 
calls our name and asks the question, will you believe in me? In doing so, our grief turns into mission. Our fear will turn into gladness. Our doubting will turn into worship. Our broken life will become life. Let's pray. Father, your book says in Isaiah that when your word is proclaimed, it will not return empty, but it will accomplish what you have purposed. And Father, I don't understand why John, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, recorded these events. But I thank you. Because these are the events that we need to hear in order to believe. Father, in this room, I'm sure there are those who are filled with fear for whatever reason. I pray that they would hear your voice. And it would be replaced with gladness. I'm sure in a room like this, there's individuals who are filled with grief. But Lord, I would pray that they would hear your voice. Understand what you've done upon the cross. Know that there's peace that they can have with you. And that they would believe. And in doing so, Father, that that grief would turn into a joy and, and a proclamation that they want to tell others. Would your word accomplish what you have purposed? And Father, I pray that the truth is that in each of us, each of our lives, that as we're confronted with you, that we, we with Thomas would stop doubting and cry out, my Lord and my God. Would you do that work in our context? For your glory, because of your mercy and your kindness, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.